Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. Welcome, everybody. Um, bear with us while we do some technical background stuff. Just about to start here. <laughs> um, I'm not at home with my regular button, so I might be a little slower today to make technology work. I apologize for that. But welcome. Really happy to have you join us today for our CyberWise chat. Today, we're going to talk about post-pandemic reboot, helping kids with the return to normal. Um, I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. I'm here with, somewhere next to me, uh, Dr. Pam Muller-Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, and Rick Andrioli, editor-in-chief of Parentology, and Arias Collins. She's the community manager at CyberWise. Um, she'll be managing our chat today. And so if you have any questions, please throw them in. We'd love to hear them. Also, uh, stay to the end when we offer our roundup of tips. And the other thing Arias will be doing is putting in links of resources that we mentioned. Okay, so today as we try to get kids back to normal, and for that matter, what is normal, um, we have asked you for questions. And we've gotten a lot of questions from parents and they seem to be the exact same questions. And here's just a quick okay. overview of them. How do we get back to pre-pandemic screen time? Or do we want to get back to that? What is screen time? What is normal? What, has, what about this rise in depression, anxiety? and how and if technology plays a role. So we're gonna tackle all that today and more, but before we do, I just wanted to share a couple things with you. Um, last week, I had the opportunity to participate in the digital media and mental health retreat put on by Children and Screens, uh, where researchers were presenting their current research on this topic. And um, I was there to present about kids and news. And by the way, in case you didn't know, 54% of our teens get their news from their social media. So there was a study that was presented that caught my attention um, that I've shared with Pam and Rick, and it, it underscored what we all keep hearing that, you know, the lockdown led to increased social media use by Generation Z. Um, but research does also show that after the initial stage of lockdown, young people started to become disengaged, and this was, was reflected in lower social media use at the end of lockdown. So Pam has wisely pointed out that this study specifically measured uh, just the effect of COVID information consumption on teens. And, and I understand that, and that's great, but what this study told me is that, gosh, maybe kids are a little smarter about disengaging and about managing their own social media use than we give them credit for, which then led me to think about, you know, all the other positive things that we might find as a result of the pandemic. Um, I posed this question to my own students that I teach cyber civics to, and they universally agreed that they are over it, they are ready to disengage and reconnect in real life. So I hope that we can hold on to some of those positive things as we move forward. And Pam, I'm gonna to turn to you now um, and ask what you think. Do you think this might be a positive trend that we see going forward of kids self-electing to disengage and maybe be more, um, more thoughtful about their technology use? Yeah, you know, Diana, I. 
and I'm not even so concerned about the disengage as much as I am really heartened by the fact that these kids are really showing that they're thinking about how media consumption is impacting them because some of the data hasn't actually shown so much as a decrease, but a shift, the choices that they're making. And so I think they're smarter than adults to be able to say, hey, you know, doom scrolling all of this news, no matter where I get it. And, you know, there's another argument about social media misinformation and all that, how accurate that news is, but recognizing that that kind of consumption of content is, uh, you know, makes you feel bad, you know, it's depressing. And I don't mean depressing like clinical depression, but it, it you know, it gets you down. And so I, I really liked that, that it really indicated that they were making that judgment. Uh, you know, so I thought that was, was extraordinarily positive. Yeah, and you make a couple of really great points here. It's so hard for kids because, you know, they're using social media to connect with one another, yet social media is where they're getting, you know, exposure to current events. It's all mixed up. And then in addition to that, the other thing that played in on that study was the fear of missing out was like a counterbalance that brought kids back. And Rick, we talked about this, and I think you guys had a really good article about FOMO or fear of missing out and kind of explains like how that impacts our teens as well. Right. And, you know, we all have FOMO, though, if you think about it, like, and we all had it before social media, right? You got invited to a party and I didn't and that kind of thing. And the whole treatment that the experts that we've interviewed have talked about with FOMO is, you know, um, as a parent, especially with COVID FOMO, don't feel guilty if the rules that you're setting are based on your family's values, whether those be health values or family time or whatever they may be. The other side of that is um, talk to your kid because as a parent, you're having FOMO also, right? And if you're honest with them about what you're experiencing, that helps them handle what they're experiencing. Right. And, you and know, perhaps FOMO is a part of just the pandemic. We all missed out on a lot, right? And so yeah. we have to replace that with something and we're replacing it connecting online. Pam, okay, I'm so sorry. let me just, I want to reframe FOMO for a minute right? Because psychologists have this terrible habit, he says, as a psychologist, of labeling things with the most pejorative pathological label possible, right? Fear of missing out is also a desire for connection and inclusion, right? We are hardwired to want to connect with people. And so, you know, seeing somebody, every, all your friends going to a party and you aren't, yeah, you're missing out, but it's also a marker that you are not included. In other words, it's a much more instinctive, basic thing. So I would like people to think about that, not as, oh, that's a shortcoming that I have FOMO and just a natural instinct to want to be included in the people that you care about so that we're not always pejoratizing all of these um, natural responses. Right. And when you think about it, where would we have been the last year and a half without our technology to give us the opportunity to remain connected? And, and that brings us to our second question. You know, parents keep asking about anxiety and depression. Is that linked to technology? And I, you know, what I say, and I'm sure, you know, you guys probably do too, is that, okay, yeah, perhaps it's on a rise, but imagine where we've been with, without the opportunity to have a little bit of social connection. So, so let's kind of break that down. Is anxiety, depression on the rise? what role does technology play or not play in this whole thing? So I know Pam has a lot to say on this, but I'm going to start with you, Rick, because you guys ran a really <laughs> article about this. And I believe it's the one that Sue Chef penned, our friend, friend Sue. Yeah. So, and I have some numbers on that. 
Yeah, so so there was definitely a lot of the the COVID impact on children's mental health. And yeah, the, there was a study from the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psych Psychiatry, woo, uh, that was talking about that there were higher rates of depression and anxiety resulted from isolation. And Parents Together also did a survey saying that 70% of kids reported feeling sad, overwhelmed, and worried. Nearly half of parents, uh, 44% are saying that their kids were struggling with mental wellness and were perhaps acting out. But, you know, a lot of that also came from anxiety that's driven from news, right? And it especially peaked, I think, during election period. So you were dealing with anxiety about the election with COVID, with vaccinations and all of that. And, uh, you know, it seems that young people could have we're picking up on a lot of things that parents were also doing because there was plenty of studies showing like kids take their lead from parents when it comes to their use of, of devices and whatnot. So if parents are constantly doom scrolling, kids can get pulled into that as well. Yeah. And to right. I'm going to just say in defense of in defense of people who doom scroll, that's also a natural instinct because when there's this much uncertainty, we try and look for answers to, you know, to understand what's going on. But I think right now you would worry about someone who wasn't a little bit anxious and depressed. We still don't know what's going on. And no matter how much you want to get back out in the game, there's so much uncertainty around it. And we've spent, what, a year and a half almost learning new behaviors. And not only learning new behaviors, but learning behaviors that are counter to our natural instincts, right? We normally hug people and now people are dangerous. So we have to relearn all of these behaviors that we work so hard to override. So that's anxiety provoking, no matter how much you wanna go up and hug the next guy. So I think it's important to keep that in context that when, when one of the research articles, Diana, you sent, in fact, had a list of the things kids worried about, their parents losing their job, infecting their, you know, the people in their family, you know, School. Would my friends still like me? Will I still be caught up? And I think Rick, you had, uh, you have a great article about you know kids, you know, being caught up and worrying about whether or not they can still do it. Technology was like you know way down at the bottom of things that they were worried about. Yeah, and I think you know we can't say this enough. I mean, things are really different now. Kids are getting their news on their social media, so they're exposed yeah. to it like twenty four seven. And the other thing is, unfortunately, really young kids are starting to use social media, and so those kids, you know, they might, a nine year old could be alone in their bedroom, you know, scrolling through Instagram and getting some scary stuff about COVID without a parent there to provide comfort. You know, of course, that might be anxiety provoking. Is it the technology's fault, or is it perhaps? the fault of the family allowing a nine-year-old to have an Instagram account. So we have to like kind of break that apart and not assign blame, per, you know, per se, right. but to really you can't blame a screen for something that we had control over. Right. right. And like we, like we brought up at previous webinars, the big key also is for the parent to talk to the young person about how to read and analyze that news you know, how to check the authenticity of it. You know, we got into it even with um, call out culture, right? Like, like, let's do a fact check here before we jump on the bandwagon and start sharing things. Right. And that's a whole nother topic, the misinformation. Right. Sorry. I think kids are wise. Yeah, we got to do a whole thing on that. But I think kids are wise to that. They are just like, they're over it, you know, and I know at least the kids I'm working with, Aris, perhaps you can jump in and talk about your sixth graders. But I think 
they're so anxious just to have that face-to-face -face time with their peers, I think that we're going to see maybe a leveling off of all this technology use that we saw in the last year and a half. Um, all right. So yeah. when next, do we have any questions, Aria? Shall I move on? We, we, we do have a question. Um, will Gen Z community return back to enjoying real life when COVID-19 pandemic ends? What do you I guys think? Well, I would say, how do you know they're not? In other words, we have to be very careful to not impose our value system or our uh, interpretation of technology use, if that's where that's going, on someone else. Because most of the kids in that generation that I know, I call them kids, that's probably not fair, but it's using technology as a social activity. It isn't isolated. So I think we have to be very careful about how we moralize the behavior of people that's different from us you know think of it as a you know cultural sensitivity yeah and and i totally agree with that pam but i also think and maybe this is my pollyanna view of the world that what we we all take away from this 18 months or whatever it was is that formerly tech adverse people have maybe moved towards the middle saying hey tech not so bad and kids are like on tech all the time are like hey real life not so bad and i think hopefully that we'll meet somewhere in the middle in this post-covid world so Absolutely. You know, people will always pick the best way to connect with people that they can. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, if you're with your parents and you want to talk to your friends, you use social media. If you can be with your friends, you will do that. So I'm not worried about them staying in their bedrooms using social media when they have the ability to hang out with their friends. Right. Okay. So that brings us to our next question. My favorite question. What positive trends can we look forward to post COVID? Come on guys, there's a lot of them. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I just wanna give a shout out to all the teachers who went from zero to 60, one day you're in the classroom, one day you're online. Online teaching is a completely different animal. It doesn't take a different skill set in terms of sort of curriculum and education, but it certainly does in terms of monitoring feedback loops, accountability, all that stuff that needs to be built into a platform. So I just really have a tremendous admiration of the people who were, you know, one day tech phobic and the next day they're on Google Classroom working it out. And so I think hats off to all the teachers. Oh, I am like you, Diana, really a positive about the idea that people have discovered a lot of ways that they can now support education going forward. You know, Rick, you had an article about how kids weren't hadn't lost as much as everyone was fearing mm -hmm. but this the the technology video demonstrations canned lectures explanations ways to get assignments that's online where you can access it can provide a lot of the foundation for filling that gap much faster than if you just have to listen to someone in a classroom so i think there's a great way to create a hybrid environment to support kids to get them back where you want them to be yeah, and I wanted to point to that study, Rick. That was a great article, by the way, about there wasn't as much as a post-COVID slide educationally as we thought there would be. Uh, perhaps you could share some of the highlights of that. Yeah, um, let's see. So, guard, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. So, okay, uh, let's see. The median score, which typically is around fifty percent, it dropped to forty-five percent in reading and thirty-five percent in math. So many in education have already discovered reading skills were not as significantly impacted as math skills during uh, the pandemic. 
So um, students, so how does that impact things? Students in grades, this is what eSchool News put out. Students in grades four to seven will need an average of four to seven weeks to catch up in reading, while grades one through three and eight were already on track. Uh, students in grades five and six were more than 12 weeks behind beginning of year expectations in math, and students in second, third, fourth, seventh, and eighth would need four to 11 weeks to meet the expectations for the beginning of a typical school year. But I think uh, part of what Pam uh, brought up is that teachers have learned to become much more agile and move with things. And even though this is what the standard was, they know that that won't necessarily be there. So they are preparing to be adaptable to find a new way to bring material to the classroom, um, whether it be through video, through old handouts, whatever it may be. Yeah, and I, I just want to say for our part, um, as a lot of people watching me know, cyber civics, our middle school curriculum was initially adapted by the Walder schools, which have been formerly very tech adverse. And I think something like 95% of the Walder schools have been teaching it for a while. So when this happened, we were like amazed at a lot of formerly non-techie teachers. All of a sudden they're like experts at Google Classroom and presenting videos and connecting with kids online. And they just jumped in full on. And I just, we're so inspired by that. And we really see that as a positive trend going forward that we can have this hybrid learning where we, we're not afraid of technology anymore. We, it has its place. It augments what we already do so well face-to-face. -face. So pretty excited about that. And then one other thing I wanted to say is Rick, in your article that we just talked about, there was a really interesting uh, or Axios poll that yeah. said 62% of parents now see devices can be used as educational tools. So that's pretty exciting as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that adaptability is going to be super important because there are kids who didn't have access to technology during this period. And, you know, there there was an article in the LA Times about kids sitting in the Taco Bell parking lot so they could get access yeah. to Wi-Fi. So I think some of that gap that we're talking about that's showing up in the data is coming from kids who didn't have any educational right. support during that period. And so the ability to reach kids in lots of different ways, you know, visual learning, auditory learning, all of those things will make a really big difference in getting everyone caught up and helping kids who don't have support at home. I mean, speaking to all you parents who had or who were homeschooling, that's a lot of work, right? It, to keep yeah. your kid at the desk in front of the computer is a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check in with Arias. Any questions out there? Should we keep rolling? We had a few great points from Darren from uh, the White Hatter team I just wanted to share. Uh, he was saying there's no difference to today's generation of youth. Um, they do not see the difference between the online world and the offline world. To them, it's just one world um, or what academia calls the on life world. And he wanted that. to bring um, the positive that more parents are now engaged with their kids on their on life world than pre-COVID. And then even that some schools may transition into more of a hybrid for kids that are maybe suffering from bullying or mental health issues that it could be a new option revealed for them because of this yeah. time. Great, and I wanna say hi to Darren and we have something to share from him a little later in the webinar, so stay tight for that. Um, you know, just a quick thought before we move off the topic, you know, this anxiety piece and depression, 
you know, I think it's important to remember too that as a society, we're getting a lot better at recognizing, you know, when people are anxious or being able to talk about mental health issues. So that could play into those numbers as well. I think that's a really healthy move going forward. I know for young people, I know they're very comfortable talking about when they feel anxious and looking for help. So I love seeing that. Um, okay, next question. We're just gonna spend a minute on this, but it's important to talk about any unhealthy tech habits that may have emerged during lockdown. I'll throw that out to any any of the three of you. Um, just to sort of uh, link back to what I was saying about how long we've been in lockdown. That's a, mm -hmm. enough time to, to form certain habits. So technology is really uh, great for a lot of things. It's a fabulous form of escape when you're anxious. And so parents need to watch for that, not the tech use, but tech use might be an indicator of anxiety so that they can give kids other means of coping or have conversations about what are you trying to do? Is there an, a more satisfying way of doing that without the technology so that they can start exploring these options and break what may be just a habitual behavior versus you know, a, you know, a motivated behavior? So I think that that's, that's important to recognize that, um, that with these sort of different changes, different schedules, watching screens late, you know, which of course upsets your melatonin and your chemicals and makes it harder to sleep and all those things. All of those things are easy to happen when you don't have the, the regular schedule of schooling and, and that. Yeah, and the thing too that a lot of people, we're seeing a lot of Google searches coming into the site about screen time and managing screen time. And so we did this article about uh, transitioning kids back to more manageable screen time. Uh, and Statista did a, a report that said um, kids jumped usage in electronic devices from 23 to 44%, um, kids ages five to 17 years old. Uh, that kind of statistic though, sends a lot of parents into panic mode. But the truth is that a lot of that is also, that in those statistics are factored in kids using it for um, schoolwork, right? So not all screen time is created equal. You know, the, the quote, unhealthy tech habit isn't necessarily with kids. It can be with panicking over something that might not be a real, challenge or right might not actually be a problem it could be a communication right. of well what are you using it for and helping a kid understand the difference between i'm using this to to like detox and cool down right i'm watching some youtube videos but i'm doing all of this time to do work you know that's and such I, I a great to... point thank yeah, you it's, it's <laughs> point. <laughs> I, like i agree but I just want to say here, what's difficult sometimes for me in these talks is we say kids. And I want to say there's a huge distinction between teenagers and younger children. And I think perhaps one of the unhealthy tech habits that I would like to see it go away once this is over is I, I it hurts my heart to think of the really young children using technology too much because those young years, and I'm talking about our real little ones, five and under, they really need face-to-face -face time and human connection and being read to, talked to, played with. Those are essential digital literacy skills that build the foundation going forward for everything they will do. And so I think it's so important to go back to the AAP guidelines of what is healthy tech use for young children. You know, uh, one hour per day for kids under six years old is what mm -hmm. the doctors recommend. I know that's really hard, but it's so important. And then you've got the kids six to 12. And I see a question about that 
that from Mimi. That's a really tough age too, because that's when their interest starts peaking. They want to get online, but it's really important to manage how much time they spend with technology as well, because they need face-to-face -face real life experiences. So I would say that six to 12, onboard them slowly, do it together, pick tech that's age appropriate, be mindful that they're not getting exposed to a lot of social events and current events that they may not be ready for. So. And I'll and add, we have a great onboarding um, guide that I'll add into the chat too for help with that. I no, would sorry. encourage people also not to use screen time as the end all be all of this judgment that you're making. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, the one hour for little kids, but what if you use a digital book and you're reading to them with a digital book? In other words, don't just presume that because there's a screen involved, that it's a problem. If they're using it to play, to create, to learn, to connect socially, that's much different than just having their brain sucked out because they don't want to be doing something else. So just be very mindful of the fact that screen time across the literature is not related to any of these negative effects. How you use the technology is what matters. And I'm going to, um pose the question that I'm going to disappear for a second because I got to plug my screen in. I'm not at home, but I'm glad that you brought that up, Pam, because that leads us to our next question. Uh, this term screen time, which I really hope goes away post pandemic. Um, it's so not useful and it's misleading. And so a couple things about that. Um, so I was, I was going to tell you that Darren, who has joined us today, wrote a really excellent blog post on this topic called let me see here. Um, da, 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 da. Creating a digital on-life balance during summer break 2021. To help families, he introduces the idea of the power of three or breaking tech use into these categories. Social use or staying in touch. Number two, physical active use. And number three, creative and educational use. Love that. Um, and I just wanted to say also that this is something near and dear to our hearts. We made this shift ourselves at the school, school where we piloted CyberSource that many years ago, where as a community, we don't talk about screen time. We talk about using screens to uh, consume media versus using screens to connect or to participate with media. And so those are really two distinct usages. So it's not about time, it's about how you use it. So I know right. you two have a lot to say on this topic as well. Um, or three, any of you can jump in. <laughs> Well, with the screen time usage, uh, or let's say, where did I have my thing? Um, no, I think I kind of hit it all already with basically communicating with a kid to understand, a young person, to understand the difference of what, um, what they're using it for when, and knowing and being able to, de to determine the distinction or the difference between them so that, uh, you know, it engages you with them, but also so that uh, young people understand the different types of things in the same way that you have different types of food that you eat. You know, you have nutritional food, you have dessert, you know, and you don't, you can't live off dessert all the time. You know, and this is such an amazing opportunity because we had this pre-COVID period where people worried about all kinds of things. And then we had COVID and it's such a great opportunity. It's kind of like having a real life experiment where you can sit down with your kids and say, well, how are you using it before? How have you been using it during COVID? Did it work? What worked? What would you like to do less of? What would you like to do more of? Where did you get the value? Because it, it will be a very clear 
uh, thing for kids to see the before and after and how they used it and how they felt. And that's such a great place to then segue over to Diana and using that information to build a tech agreement. Yeah. And I think also being respectful of kids, you know, to to kind of like you mentioned earlier, be respectful. Their world is really different. I mean, they do not know a life without technology. It's ingrained in everything they do. And just to remember, like their habits are different. Like, for example, if we don't understand something, you know, we'll Google it. If a kid wants to know about something, they use YouTube as their Google and they watch videos because they're trying to learn things. And so, you know, as a parent, we might say, oh, that's mindlessly consuming. But it's not that's participating because they're participating with the digital world to increase their knowledge about a topic. So this is a great time for adults to expand their minds into the different ways that kids use digital technology and to be respectful of that, I think. Absolutely. Any other comments on that? I, I think I think too. just I, them living into seeing how they use it productively this year with connecting with their teachers and their friends. I think just living that these 18 months, it kind of gets ingrained in you that this is a tool that's necessary yeah. and we need to know how to use it. So I think that is a huge benefit as well. Totally. I, I so, saw a headline that said that teenagers said that FaceTime is not as good as face to face. And I'm thinking, yeah, duh. I mean, who <laughs> thinks it is? You know, these headlines come out so that to get us sort of all worked up and worried as if something's wrong, but they're just commenting on the available experience and the richness of experience and that differential. Yeah, yeah. Or like a study I saw that said, you know, technology impacts every person differently. Well, yeah, you know, kids are different. They use it for different purposes. They're going to have different outcomes and just be respectful of your own child and like Pam said earlier, this is a time of discovery, you know, let's come out of this thing and we'll discover the pluses, the minuses and what works for our own family. So, which leads us to the next question. Um, okay, let's use our imaginations here. Uh, how might school, home life and tech use look different going forward? So I'm gonna start with you, Rick. What's, what's your dream or what do you, what do you guys see at Parentology going forward? How is this gonna all look different? Well, um... I, you know, it's so funny because I, I think about this a lot with like uh, my, I was just seeing my mom and this whole concept of like, oh, things have changed, things have changed. You know, it's it's like pe parents often, we're, we're hearing parents often want things to return back to normal. Uh, but normal is usually what parents are comfortable with or what they understand and know. And ideally, we don't return to normal. You know, we find what the new normal is. So like what you guys are all saying, it's parents and teachers being able to take this experience and help grow with kids in it, you know, um, both take what works from both pre lockdown and post lockdown and try to move forward with that. I think the mistake is thinking that we can do a reset because trying to force kids, young people or anything into older boxes is more like, you know, it's, it's almost belittling their, what is important to them, what they have value of in, you know, it like, like, Diana, your example of YouTube versus Google, right? If we're sort of belittling them using YouTube as, or thinking that that has less value or saying things that reflect less value, well, that's just creating a distance, a gap. And ideally we've spent this time together, we can use this time to get closer, right? 
I love that. I think we're going to see a lot of reflection on lifestyle too from the adults. And I encourage people to, the adults to recognize they, they're anxious too. They're trying to make decisions. They're trying to figure out how, what the normal was before. I've had a lot of people talk about, oh, I just, I'm not sure I'm going to go into the office five days a week. I'm not sure I want to commute for three hours a day. I'm not sure I want to, you know, be away from my family for 12 hours a day. So there's going to be some really nice, I hope, reckoning, trickling across all of these things that are really important to involve kids in because they're trying to figure out the same things. Um, and I wanted to add just a brief point uh, to a point you made, Diana, about how everyone's different that there are going to be some kids who have a certain amount of social anxiety or who feel, you know, are very introverted where going back to school ideally appeals to them, but they're terrified that they won't be able to interact anymore or that they'll be ashamed to speak up or that they'll be embarrassed because they've not been able to practice as that sort of playground skill set. So to be very patient, don't just say, oh, yeah, you're going to love it to really talk and listen to what's on kids' minds. I know kids that are even totally extroverted, super eager, and they're still worried. Am I going to be able to, you know, still do my times tables? You know, I mean, they're still worried about things. So being respectful about the level of anxiety that everyone's suffering and being sensitive and listening for that, I think is so important. Yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you. And, and for my part, you know, what I see going forward is this hybrid life where we become respectful for the people who love tech, the people who don't love tech, using it in mindful ways. I think we're gonna see a lot of that going forward. Um, the research seminar that I attended earlier last week, I learned that kids slept more than ever in the last year. And I hope that families will see how healthy that is and that maybe we don't need to return <laughs> our varied lifestyles that we did before. We don't, kids don't need to do 10,000 sports. Um, I think also online learning, you know, I think, for a lot of kids chasing the holy grail trying to work so hard to get into the college of their dreams maybe we all learn that there's other opportunities to learn and pursue careers online i think that's really positive so a lot of great things that we're learning from technology but keeping it in balance with the rest of our lives i think is a really good thing going forward arius do you have any comments or are there any chat comments that we I, should bring up it seemed like you and darren were like <laughs> in each other's heads because he I'm was not surprised. speaking, yeah. <laughs> it seems like um, he was just saying that he would envision like a hybrid school potentially coming forward out, out of this if there's a budget to allow for that. Um, and then, let's see here, and and just how much ex how many things are online that appeals to different kids' intelligence and how they learn and. Um, just mentioning that that offers opportunities as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be really positive going forward. Um, all right, so we're going to spend a little time on this next section. And I just want you to know that um, after every chat, we kind of wrap up with our top tips, takeaways. They're usually a little different depending on who they come from. But uh, so following this chat, we're going to make a little PDF that we'll put on the website. Um, Aries, maybe you could share where we house our CyberWise chats on the CyberWise sites that you can share with your families or groups that hopefully will help them going forward. But I'm going to start with Rick because Rick, you shared a really great story with me earlier about something you do. If, here's a little uh, uh, inside thing about Rick. He is very into circus arts. He can tell yeah. you about that. But in doing that, he's a circus <laughs> arts teacher 
and in doing that, he has learned some really valuable lessons that we think translate into kids and technology as well. So take it away, Rick. Sure. So thank you. So yeah, um, in my spare time, I'm a circus coach. I teach uh, acrobatics and trapeze. And in at the beginning of May, we reopened. And so the kids classes started back as well as the adult classes. And what was interesting is that the energy for the kids was off the rails to be physically back with friends again, even if it was in their six foot space, they had done zoom performances or zoom classes and performances during quarantine. Uh, one of the interesting things too, is parents and the adults wanted us to do the hybrid model to have both zoom classes still. So now our schedule at the school is half zoom half, uh, in-person, which is interesting because we, how do you do circus classes at home? But we figured it out. Um, and uh, the kids right away wanted to, were asking about when they could do their next performance on Zoom because we had done a little showcase for the kids. And so that was interesting too, that they want to do a real in-person show, of course, but they understand the reality. And they were like, well, if we can't do that, can we do a Zoom show? You know, So they were rolling with it right away. But the one negative, and we're seeing it in the kids' classes as well as the um, adult classes, is people constantly apologizing for not being where they were pre-shutdown, pre-pandemic. So like if a kid can't get their knees up on the bar right away, they immediately say, I'm sorry, as though they've done something wrong. Um, and keep in mind, the classes that we were doing at home weren't aerial. So it's a different muscle group. It's a different set of stuff, right? It's pushing versus pulling. And what's interesting, the adults are doing it too. And I catch myself doing it from time to time when I'm like, oh, I'm not as, you know, I used to be able to, you know, do all of these setups or I could do these pull-ups or whatever. And so what I think is interesting is uh, that, that we came to as coaches was we need to be a little bit compassionate for ourselves as students, we need to not apologize for who we are on this day because, you know, your physical body is different, but also your anxiety can take over. Your breathing can affect you in really crazy ways. Like, um, so we've started classes by telling students that today is a day of knowing where we're at today and not apologizing for anything that we're doing. And I think that's an interesting thing about what kids will be facing moving forward. So next time I'm on my trampeze, yes, or flying through the air, I'm going to remind to be nicer to myself. <laughs> but when the backs of your knees hurt, just say Rick said it's okay, and that's fine. But no, I think that's a great point about just we got to be empathetic with each other, with ourselves, and with our children because this is not easy for any of us. We're looking for silver linings here, and there's a lot of them, but it's tough. I mean, we've been through a really traumatic event globally, and I think we can't remind ourselves of that enough. This is going right. to be tough for all to redefine our new normal. So take a moment, pat yourself on the back and just remember we're all in this together. So, all right, Pam, I know you had some really good tips as well. Oh, my takeaways. Well, <laughs> the first one, which sort of segues right off of that, which is that change is hard, even if you want it, right? And especially when we've been in an environment that had a lot of psychological implications, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, even if you want to be doing something, you have to get used to this new environment. You have to get so that you feel safe again. And so to your point, Rick, it's such a wonderful metaphor. Be where you are today. Don't you know? Yeah. wish you were where you were last week. Help your kids be where they are today. Help them figure out where they wanna to be tomorrow so that they can get there. But don't, don't be judgmental. It isn't like, 
Behavior change has never worked cold turkey on anything, changing anything ever, right? You don't become physically fit overnight. You don't go, you know, lose 40 pounds overnight. You can't go back to pre-COVID overnight. So just be compassionate. And then I guess the other thing that I would say, I mean, because I've already harped on the screen time thing plenty, is um, recognize what a unique opportunity this is to talk with your kids about this past year and a half, how they use technology, what worked, where it benefited them, you know, get them to share with you what they've discovered. And then, because if you don't know that, you can't help them get the balance they're gonna need going forward. You have to help them decide what has value to their life of this, the technology use. And, you know, and what was just, you know, filling time, which is not a bad thing during COVID, it was just a thing. So that's what I would say is it sort of all wraps up into compassion. I love that too. Thanks, Pam. And, and I would say a couple of things for my tips going forward is, and I think I say this every time, but we have a really awesome tech agreement on the CyberWise website. Perhaps Arias could throw the link in there. But I think it's really important to have those agreements with every child at every age and stage. As I said earlier, kids are really different from age two in tech use, 16 in tech use. So make sure that you go into it with an agreement with each child because kids need boundaries and understandings. And if you do it together, it's more likely they're going to follow that through. Um, and I think, you know, I don't like the term screen time. Yet, I think with our youngest of children, we do have to be a little mindful of that time because it's just they need those face to face interactions. So I think that's super important um, for younger kids that every expert will tell you co-view, co-watch, talk, be selective. I think that's really important. And then I'm really big on empowering teens. And I love like I'm going to flip back to what I mentioned at the beginning. I love that there was a little study that found that kids are, you know, they're opting out. And I see that with the teens I work with. They're very smart on how they use technology. They're smarter if they're taught and they understand all the things that the digital world offers and does. So I think that's really important to help our kids gain that education through digital literacy and also to empower them to make their own choices with technology, of course, with adult guidance. Um, and then this is the where we have a disagreement and I love it, but, um, oh, but I mean, before I get there, model positive uses of technology, it's on the adults right. to use it, you know, mindfully be selective about what you do, let your children see that you put it down at meal times, that you put it down when they're talking to you and having face-to-face -face engagement, that's very important. And then finally, I'm an advocate of digital detox and I'm not gonna call it that because I know Pam doesn't like that term. I'm an advocate of digital uh, vacations. And I, that's what we call it when we offer it as homework through cyber civics. But I think this is a generation of kids who do not know 24 hours without media. So I think to give them these imposed like vacations from it is a gift. I think they learn a lot about themselves and their ability to operate without technology during that time period. So I think that's a real healthy thing for kids to do. I think Pam has a little different view on that. So I'm going to let her talk about well, that. It, you know, partly my problem with the word detox is it, it treats technology like alcohol, right? You know, just it's like a, you know, too much, right? You know, as if there's no differentiation between different types of technology. I have no problem with a family taking a technology vacation. I think anytime, you know, we take vacations from our houses and our electricity and all kinds of things as suits us, I would just say, be very careful parents that you're not deciding that your children need a technology holiday while you're going about business as usual. Right. In other words, there needs to be some understanding and parity 
because you're then imposing your values, which you need to do as a parent, but you're imposing your interpretation of all this technology use on them without listening. So I would, that's why I like to call it, you know, something like a tech assessment or a tech something where you are at least making a critical judgment about what you're using and why before you take the vacation step. Mm -hmm. And it's like what you said earlier, Pam, boy, we have a great opportunity here to have these conversations after what we've been through and we've used technology differently and more than ever in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, so it's a great time to like reassess with your families and talk about what your values are going forward. So I'm going to check in again with you, Arias, to see if you have any tips to add and also what's happening in our chat box. I mean, I think just the biggest thing is modeling when you feel that you're safe because every single family is different. So modeling and celebrating, we get to do this. We get to have gratitude. We get to see grandma, whatever it is, you know, um, I think kids just pick up on that and that behavior of celebration or whatever it is moving forward um, will help with this. But all of you touched on such great points. I feel like you hit it. But I think I think that is it for questions for the most part. I think we're good. Okay. All right. All right. Last last points before we sign off here, guys. Anything else you'd like to add that we didn't cover? Teach your kids coping skills. Yeah. It's going to be an anxious time for everyone. And if you don't know some, teach yourself, right? Mindfulness, reframing, thinking about how things present, how you're telling yourself the story is, shifting it to a positive. All of those kinds of things will make a big difference in the ease of the transition. And if you need a good circus teacher to tell you how to fly through the air and let all your all your uh, stress go away, I know one right here to my whatever side he's on. <laughs> <laughs> As seen on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Rick Andrioli, it's true. Uh, I have such great claims to fame, you guys. That's it. <laughs> but you know what? I just. I mean, I'm, we're laughing here, but I think that it's really important to have those like places where you can escape all this and and follow your passion that maybe has nothing to do with the stresses of the real world and just, you know, have those breaks where you're doing something that allows you to distress, lose that anxiety. And I think remember that for our kids as well, help them find those places. So, that is a coping skill. Yeah. And have empathy and understanding for everyone. We're all in this together, folks. So yeah, we are. All right. Well, thanks again. I love chatting with you guys. It's always great. What are we doing next? Next month. month? Oh, that's right. Thanks for reminding me. So we are going to take July off because it, uh, the first Tuesday of the month would have fallen during Fourth of July week. We don't want to do that to you. So we'll be picking up again the first Tuesday of August at noon. Don't know the date offhand. Um, but we are going to tackle a topic that we've been asked a lot about that is going to be very intense. Uh, we're going to cover pornography and children which is a really important topic. There's a lot of new research out on it, its impact on young children and teens. So that's our next one. We hope that you will join us. We'll be have all the information on the CyberWise website. So stay tuned. And until then, we hope you have a safe and wonderful beginning of summer. Um, right. Enjoy your kids summer at home, help them find activities maybe away from the screen here and there but when they do use the screen ask them what they're doing maybe it's something you want to do with them so thanks so much enjoy right. thanks, thank guys. you bye-bye